Amen, amen. Well, aren't you thankful for the presence of the Lord here with us this morning? Amen. Let's thank our worship team. You know, they practice all the time and uh, just to help lead us in worship. Let's give them a hand, yeah. Thank you, guys. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, so excited to be with you this morning. Um, Last week, we began a new series. We're going to continue that this week called Not Your Average Joe. And what it's doing is focusing in on the life of Joseph in several ways that he was not just average, but God worked in his life and enabled him to be so much more than that. And what's really cool is we're going to talk about things that God can still do and is doing and wants to do in your life and mine. The same God that enabled Joseph to live a life that was more than just average is the same God who's here today. If you believe that, say amen. Amen, that's right. And so last week, we talked about, and what, what a great message, we t- uh, Pastor Brian shared with us how Joseph didn't give just your average response when uh, he was taken by his brothers, thrown in a pit, and then sold into slavery. Most of us would respond either out of anger or just how unfair this is, or whether it be angry at our brothers, angry at God, or both. And yet, we don't see Joseph say a word. And we're actually, this week, we're going to see that continue in the life of Joseph because the unfair things in Joseph's life didn't end last week. I'm just going to tell you that. His life was not fair. His circumstances were unjust. Yet he continually let the Lord fight his, ba- let, let the Lord fight his battles and continued to be faithful. And uh, so we're going to see that again. But we're also, this week, we're going to pick up in Genesis 39. And now he was sold into slavery last week. This week the slavery's begun. And we're going to learn a second thing about Joseph that was far above average. And that's stewardship. He's not your average Joe, and it's not, he did not have your average stewardship. So just to define stewardship real quick, it's not a term we use that often anymore. In fact, some of the teens I'm sure are saying, what's stewardship? Okay, I, I, I'm sure of that, but I couldn't think of a better word. I've tried a lot to think of a better word, maybe one that's current, but the reality is there's some words that are old that we just need to keep around because they're good words. One of those words is stewardship, and stewardship simply means it's it's how we, what we do with things that are given to us. What do we do with the things we've been given? And so we're going to develop that a little bit more, but just wanted to say that so you didn't tune out right now and say, I don't know what stewardship is. It's just what you do with the things you've been given. Let's jump into Genesis 39 uh, verse 1 uh, through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Remember, he sold in slavery, so this is, this is his story continued. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted into his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Um, I lost my spot. On everything Potter had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge, He did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. So we pick up 
Joseph's arrived in Egypt. He's purchased. He's bought by one of Pharaoh's officials. Now, this, he was the favorite son of a man who had, much, who had wealth and who had many possessions and flocks. And now he's the slave of an official in Egypt. Not fair. But once again, we see that Joseph doesn't have an average response, but he steps up to the plate. So there he is. He's in the house. He's amidst many servants. And yet, it says in verse 2, what's it say? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord didn't leave Joseph when he went to Egypt. His brothers abandoned him. He lost his family, but the Lord didn't leave him. The Lord went with him to Egypt. And you know what? While he was there, he remained faithful to the Lord. See, he, everything he did prospered, and so much so that it didn't take long for his master to see that this servant, Joseph, is different than the rest. The Lord is with him. The Lord blesses him. This, this man's faithful. This man is a man of integrity, and he raised him up in the house. So Joseph, who was sold in as a servant, comes in. You have to imagine there's many servants who've been there longer, but Joseph is elevated. So much so to the point that Potiphar, this official, trusts Joseph so much, he says he doesn't worry about anything in his house. He doesn't, he doesn't worry about anything except, hey, what am I going to eat tonight? Anybody else house run like that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife stays at home. I, I thought that's how it was going to be, but no, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. She's watching. Okay. But no, really though, there's so many things to do, but Joseph was so faithful. Joseph was such a good steward of this master's things that he didn't have to worry about what was going on at home. And, and a household back then was more than just a house. It was all his possessions. Everything this man owned, this would have been a prominent man. He was in charge of the other servants, all the affairs of the house, and he was faithful. He was faithful the entire time. But what we come to find out is that there was someone in the house who, even though Joseph was being faithful, she, it was Potiphar's wife. She tried to tempt him. She tried to seduce him. She, she found Joseph attractive, and so constantly she would try um, to get him to sleep with her. And he said, listen, I'm not going to sin against God, and how could I do that to my master? He says, there's two people. The master trusts me. The Lord trusts me. I'm not going to do that thing. It's not right. So even though he's been faithful this whole time, Joseph, he's faithful, faithful, faithful. He gets wrongly accused by this woman. She says, because you won't sleep with me, I'm going to... She, she tells Potiphar that he tried to rape her. And Potiphar believes her, throws him in jail. Okay. Now, let's just talk about last week's lesson just for a second because we can't pass this up. How would you respond? You've been faithful. And you know what? You were faithful at home as far as you knew. You were out and you got sold into slavery. And then you say, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to keep being faithful. And, and God's blessing you and you see this. And then all of a sudden, everything comes crumbling down. You've been faithful. You've been doing the things. I mean, surely, surely Joseph is going to turn his back on God now. Surely Joseph is going to be bitter now. Right? No. Wrong. Let's read. Verses 20. It's just a little bit farther down in the chapter. It says this. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now let's pick this up. So the Lord was with Joseph when he was with, in Potiphar's house. 
Then he got wrongly accused. He got put in jail. Everybody's against him, but who's with him? The Lord. The Lord never left him. The Lord went with him to prison. And what's amazing about Joseph is that in prison, we don't have one, we don't have one instance of him being bitter, of him just, you know, throwing in the towel. But no, instead what we see is once again, it doesn't take very long for the prison warden to notice there's something different about Joseph. The Lord's with him. He's faithful. And now imagine this. The warden of this prison has a con convicted rapist that he puts in charge of all the other prisoners. Think about this. He could tell that there was something different about Joseph because Joseph was faithful. So much so, it says that the warden didn't even pay attention to the things that were in Joseph's care. Now, if you work at a prison, I would not advise this. I would not advise you to do this, but you know what? Joseph was different because he was there and he remained faithful to God. And what's amazing is Joseph, he's been unfairly sent to these places and he had these dreams. Do you guys remember the dreams we talked about last week? He had these dreams that there was going to be these um, this grain, and it was all going to be bowing down before him, and it represented his brothers bowing down to him. And God gave him these dreams. They were visions, and he told his family, you know, in this prison, in this slave house, he had to be wondering what those meant. How could that ever be? How could God ever use him for anything great? But he continued trusting, even when he didn't see how this is all going to work out. That was the life of Joseph. That's not your average response, and that's not your average stewardship. So even though he was sold in slavery, I want you to know this. God still had a plan for his life. Those dreams, even though Joseph couldn't see it, God was using this time that he was in right now to prepare him for those. Now think about this. Joseph, at the end of the story, and we haven't got there yet, but at the end of the story, he was raised up and he was second in command over all of Egypt and was in charge of how many different things they were under his charge. He controlled the food. Hey, the, everybody who, who uh, grows food, you have to bring this much and set it aside. You have to bring this much, set it aside to prepare. And here he was in prison and in a slave house getting training on how to be a leader way before he would ever be in a position of leadership. We have to believe that Joseph learned lessons in jail and in Potiphar's house that prepared him to be a leader, second command in Pharaoh's over all of Egypt, even before he ever knew or ever saw how that would possibly work out. Right? I mean, it's just amazing. So I'm sure it would be hard for him to see how this was going to work out, but he didn't complain. He wasn't bitter. He didn't, he didn't argue that he was being taken advantage of. He just decided to be obedient and follow God in a situation that didn't make sense. Joseph decided to be a good steward. So once again, we're going to talk about stewardship again. We're going to define it again. I just want to make sure we all get it. To put it simply, stewardship is just what we do with what we have or what we do with what we've been given. And even though he had unfair situations, he didn't allow him to, it did, he didn't allow it to change his faithfulness. Now, 
The one thing about the future of Joseph, and this is where I want to tie it in with us, because I you know sometimes it can be like, well, I don't understand how that applies to me. Well, Joseph was set aside, and at the end of Genesis, it says God put him there and used him so that he could preserve life. That was, that was the intention. God used Joseph to preserve the life of thousands of people. He had to go through prison for it. He had to go through Potiphar's house, but that's what God used him for. At the end of his life, he saw that. And did you know that God has a similar call for your life and for mine? In Matthew, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. You and me, that's us, Christians. We are the salt of of the earth. I'm telling you, God is still looking for men and women he can use to preserve life. What is salt? Salt, it has many uses, but one of its most important uses, especially in that day, is as a preservative. I mean, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to give life. He came to give hope. He came that we'd have that life abundantly, and yet we know without God, without Jesus, this world well, really, it's rotting away, right? It spoils. I mean, the, the things, sin has come in to every situation, and, and it brings separation between people, it brings sickness, it brings death. Those are the results of sin. But what Jesus did was he came and he made us, he said, you guys are my hands and feet to go out, and I'm going to use you in this day and age to continue my ministry to seek and save the lost, to bring hope, to preserve life. See, God has a plan for your life to be used by him as an extension of Jesus' ministry, so much so that when Jesus, before he ascended into heaven and before he even died on the cross, he told the disciples, listen, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be better. Who agrees, like, it's better that Jesus isn't here? It's, it's hard to see that, right? I mean, because, you know, I just watched the NBA Finals. And, I mean, who thinks Cleveland would have been better without their best player, LeBron James? No, they got swept anyway. Okay, it wouldn't have been worse, I guess. But you're not going to be better without the best, right? But here's what Jesus said. I'll give you my spirit, and I will enable you to do the things I will enable you to do the ministry. You'll be my hands and feet. And so he gives us his spirit, and he changes us. So we're called to preserve life as well, and yet many of us feel, if we're honest, like those are some pretty big shoes to fill. How can I step up? How can I continue Jesus' ministry? How can he use me? And so in order for us to be like Joseph and to be able to be used in situations that aren't fair, in a time that it's difficult to live like Christ, maybe in situations where we don't, know what, we, we don't even know what to do, it seems, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to become good stewards of the things that we have. Stewardship is key. If it wasn't for stewardship, if Joseph hadn't been following God at Potiphar's house, he never would have been ready for Pharaoh's house. And so we're going, to, we're going to talk just for a few minutes about what it means, what are some steps we can take to be more than just your average Joes, more than just your average stewards. How can we be great stewards like Joseph? Well, the first step, to becoming a great steward is this. This is step number one. Accept, accepting that God can use me now. Right now. That's you. It's written in the first person because I want you to think about this. I want you to read this and say, this is true for my life. God can use me right now. And many times, guys, and this is, this is so true, we just don't realize the potential that God has for our lives. 
And you know what? Sometimes it's because we grew up in a house where maybe we were talked down to. Maybe, maybe you grew up and you heard constantly, you'll never amount to anything. And you think that's how God feels about you. It's not. Maybe you feel like you don't know enough. Maybe you feel like, you know, Pastor Brian, he knows so much. I'd never be able to be like Pastor Brian. So I just, I can't be used by God. Or maybe you just think, I will someday, I want to someday, someday I'll, I'll let God use me, but right now it's just, it's a season of life that I, I just can't do it, or I, I don't know what I would do, or how God could use me, or I'm not, I don't have the gifts, I don't have the talents. And guys, these are all lies that can often keep us from stepping into situations where God can really use us. See, God, want, God wants to use you. In fact, he sent Jesus so that he could, like, like we said, Jesus said it'd be better that he's gone because of you. He was thinking of you when he said that. He was thinking of me when he said that. And so even though we may feel insignificant, there's three reasons I want you to know why God can use you right now. And we're going to hit these kind of in rapid fire. The first is this. Just like Joseph, God can use you because God is with you. God can use you because God is with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you, right? If God is for you, who can stand against you? So you may say, I don't have all the right talents. You know who else felt that way? Moses. Ended up doing some pretty cool stuff, right? You know who else felt that way? The prophet Jeremiah. You know who else felt that way? Some of the disciples. You know who else feels that way? Some of us. How could God use me? But I'm telling you, the very, this is the most important of them all. Even if you're unqualified, it doesn't matter. However you feel, God will, God will make you able. He will enable you to do the things he's called you to do. He absolutely will. So you might say, I don't know, but remember, God can use you because he's with you. Second is this. God can use me because he made me for a purpose. So, God, when he created you, when he created me, he, he didn't make a mistake. Psalm 139 says it like this. He knit you together in, in your mother's womb. He took such care. He made you in a specific way. You know what? You're not the same as everybody else because he didn't want you that way. He wanted you the way that you are. You know, sometimes we look at others. You know, I mentioned how we can look at a pastor. We can even look at our, our Sunday school teacher or someone else and say, well, I'm not like that person, so how could God use you? You know what? God didn't want two of them. He, he realized that we needed somebody just like you. That's why he made you. He made you for a purpose. And when he, when he, when he put, knit you together in his mother's womb, he had a plan in mind for your life, a good plan. So that's the second reason. He can use me because he made me for a purpose. And next, and the third and final one we're going to talk about is that God can use me because not only did he, he make me for that, but he has given me gifts and talents that are meant to be used to bring him glory. He gave you gifts. Aren't you glad we don't all have the same gifts? You know, I often think if everybody, if everybody could sing and play an instrument, there wouldn't be that many people in church because we'd all feel like we need to use our gifts to sing and lead worship, and so we'd all go try and find a place to sing. Aren't you glad not everybody can sing? All right, we can all worship, but not everybody can lead and sing. But you know what? What would happen if every single person's gift was teaching? Who would we teach? We'd have a bunch of, we'd have a bunch of empty classes. We need people who can teach. But you know what? Sometimes we elevate these positions and we... We lower other positions that are just important, like prayer, maybe even more so important. You may not teach, 
You may not sing. You can pray. You can pray. You can intercede for others. You can pray on their behalf, and I'll tell you right now, you can have such an impact with that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. So there's things that you can do. You can serve. You know what? It could just be that you are greeting people as they come in. You're trying to make somebody feel welcome. Maybe you try and grab new people and take them out to lunch so that they feel like this, that they've got a family here, they've got a home. Is that any less important than the Sunday school teacher? It's not less important. You are not less important. The gifts God gave you aren't less important. They're just to be used for Him. All these things. He's gave you these talents. He's gave you these abilities. And He's saying, use them for me. So, First, the very first thing is just accepting that God can use me now. He made you for it. He's with you. He's given you the gifts, the abilities. But second, is it's good to know that we have all those things. But the second, everything kind of turns on this point, is we, it's, for us to be great stewards, we have to be committing to be faithful now. There's two words that, or actually three words, that we have to tie up in here. The first is committing. We have to commit. We have to say, Lord, I'm going to do it and follow it with our life. To be faithful now. This is all what stewardship means. Stewardship can never, ever be something in the future. You cannot steward something in the future. You can only do with what you have right now. And remember, just like for Joseph, it seemed like, how can God use me how can God, how is this ever going to work out? I'm in, I've been sold into slavery. I'm, I'm here I'm in the prison unfairly. How can God use me now? He didn't have the answer. The only thing he could do was be faithful now. And his being faithful now prepared him for what God wanted to do in the future. But a lot of times this word faithful, we don't understand what it means, especially in, in a sense of stewardship. Because it, mean, it doesn't mean just believing in God, but it means using the things God has given us in such a way that would bring glory to Him. So, but we often don't understand what are His things. It's easy for us to forget and get sidetracked about, well, what is the Lord's? Well, let's look at Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let's think about this verse and think about how it applies to stewardship, okay? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, if I was to ask you, what are the five best things you have in your life? What are the best five things in your life? Maybe you, some of you would say kids. Maybe some of you would say job or house or you have security. Now, if I was to follow that up and say, okay, that's great. Now, what are the best five things you've been given? Would you realize, would I realize, that it's the same list? The best things I have and the best things I've been given are the same because everything is the Lord's. This is the first principle of, of real stewardship is understanding that even as we sang this morning, the breath in my lungs came from Him. You know, the reason I could get up today, I could put on my clothes, I could drive my car over here, I could leave my house is because God gave me breath. I did a lot of things, I had a lot of things, but God gave me the breath and the ability to even do those things. 
And you know, sometimes we say, and, and there's a lot of good things about this thought, but I want to make sure we, we understand it right. We say, but I've earned it. I've worked hard for it. And that's right. That means you've been stewarding the gifts you've been given. But who gave you the gifts? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the talents? Who, I mean, this is, the, this is the thing. You might be really great at the place that you work, and you've just excelled and excelled and excelled, and you say, look what I've done. But the reality is God enabled you to do that. He gave you the gifts. See, everything, James, it says, every good gift comes from our Father. It comes from God. Every good gift. And so the things that I often say are mine, in a sense they are, but in reality, they've just been given to me for a time to use for His glory. Matthew 25 talks about this. It's the parable of the talents. I'm sure many of you have heard it. And we're not going to read through all of this, but I'm just going to kind of give you a summary but right, I want you to know when this teaching takes place. This is Jesus towards the end of his ministry, smack dab in the middle of him talking about the very end. He's talking about the end. The disciples have asked him, what's going to happen at the end? And so he says, listen, you're going to hear rumors of wars. You're going to hear this. Then he tells this parable of these ten virgins that are waiting for God. And then he tells this one right here. And it so pertains to what we're talking about today, I just felt like if Jesus had something to weigh in, maybe we should talk about that. Because this is what he said. Okay, he begins this parable by saying this. Remember, he's talking about the end. He says this, It's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That right there, he begins this parable with essentially the definition of stewardship. You have a master, you have servants. He gives them his property and entrusts them with it. Now he's expecting them to use it for what? Their own personal gain? No, no, no. He's expecting them to use it in such a way that when he returns, his kingdom, his household, is better off because of how well his servants used what he'd given them. Right? And so that's what he does. So this, this master goes away, and, and to one he gave five talents. To one he gave two, and to the third one he gave one. So one was given five, one was given two, one was given one. And he expected it to be used and multiplied. So he goes on the journey. He's gone for a long time. It's kind of like Jesus, right? It was a long time ago, it seems like. 2,000 years that he died on the cross. He ascended into heaven. He said, I'm coming again. He was gone for a long time. But he did come back. And when he came back, here's what it says. He settled accounts with them. So when, G, when, when this master returned, he remembered what he gave each of his servants. Hey, I gave him five, I gave him two, I gave him one. Okay, I want to meet up with these guys and see what they did with what I gave them. And so he goes and he talks to the first one. And in this verse we had in the bulletin, and he says this. Um, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Man, if you want to hear that when, it, when the end comes, say amen. Amen. That's right. Hey, I've given you five ta talents. I gave you five things. And you know what? You use them so well. Man, you have been faithful with a little. I'm going to give you much. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, so here comes the next guy. 
He had two talents. And you know, he, he, he only had two. This guy had five. He, he could have been like, that guy had way more than me. What I got wasn't fair. But that's not what happened, is it? The guy with two talents went out with his, and guess what? He didn't make five more, but he doubled what he had. He made two talents. And he gets the same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with much. Enter in, you're faithful, faithful with little. I will not give you much. Enter in the joy of your master. I'm so proud of you. I can just hear God saying that I'm so proud of what you did with what I entrusted to you. And then comes the last man. He only had one talent. And he didn't use it at all. He took it, he hid it in the ground. And when the master comes back and settles accounts with him, he's angry. And he, he says to this man, listen, even if you didn't want to work with it, you could have at least put it in the bank and it would have made interest. And, and, and this one, this servant, is cast out. Why? Because he took what God had given, he took what the master had given him and hid it in the ground, never used it, went, went about. I mean, he's gone a long time. This servant didn't just sit, sit there. You have to imagine he was building his own household doing his own things, serving his own interests the entire time the master was gone. And when the master came back, he says, what have you done with what I gave you? But now I, I want to I key in on something here. The servant was not cast out because he made less than the other ones. It's because he was not faithful. Remember, one got five, one got two, one got one. This is so important. This is such a key point. Stewardship has nothing to do at all with how much you have. Maybe you grew up in a, in a situation where your parents, they, they taught you about God from a young age, and you knew about Him, and you grew up, and you feel like, man, I was just so blessed with this. And maybe someone else is here, and you say, this is the first time I've heard about Jesus. Listen, it's not about what you have. You, you might say, I, I, I've missed it so much. Listen, no, that's not what this is about. It, what it's about is just saying, what are you doing with what you have? Somebody has more resources than you. You're not accountable for what they have. You're accountable for what you have. It's not, you, you might not have as much as somebody else, but what you have, God can use. And that's what He's entrusted to you. So those are the things that God is, wants, is going to settle accounts with us. We can't look at someone else and say, well, I gave more than so-and-so in this area. I served more than so-and-so. It's, it's going to have nothing to do with comparisons. God's just going to say, what would you do with what I gave you? Well done. You were faithful. That, I mean, that's what we all long to hear. But let's make this practical, okay? These talents really represents money, but it represents many, many things. And while we've never had an experience with someone who says, here, God actually coming to us and saying, here's these things, use them, I'm coming back soon, and we'll settle accounts. But we have his word as a testimony, and we have many, many things we've been given. And we're going to just touch on five in rapid fire. And the first one is time. The first one is time. If it's God's breath in our lungs, then every moment we live is a gift from God and is His time. It's our lives are His. You know, everyone has 24 hours a day. We all have the same 168 hours a week, but sometimes 
It's like some will have time to do things for God and others won't. But let me make this clear. I understand everybody's in a different season of life. If you have four kids, you're going to have less time. If you have three kids, you're going to have less. I mean, if, if you have no kids, you're going to have a little bit more time. Okay? And so God's not saying, hey, I want everybody to pray for six hours a day. It's not what he's saying. But he wants, he's saying, I want you to use your time well. I want you to be faithful with it. Listen, raising your kids is one of the ways you can be faithful. So be faithful in it. But we all have time, and sometimes we can, if we're honest, it's easy for us, and I've done this, we can go a week, a month, with very little prayer, with very little time in God's Word, with very little connection with Him at all. And then we can say to God, we can say to ourselves, well, God, I've just been so busy and, and I, know, I know that just when I say that to him, it just it never feels right because he's saying, Travis, I gave you your breath. I gave you your breath today. I woke you up today. You have time. You have time. I've given it to you. You're just, Travis, you're not, you're not using your time right. And that for me has at times been a conviction about when I've let my time get away from me. And you know, if you, if you found, if you're saying, hey, that's true for me. You know, I, I, I do this. I get in ruts. You know what? There, there's things, not everything you can pull away from, but there's things. You know, maybe you say, you know what? Before, every day, before I look at social media, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible. Or I'm just going to spend a little time in prayer. You know what? And if we just do that, it'll help us to use our time in such a way that God can bless it. Amen. So that time was number one. And I want, I want to tell you a story real quick about this one, just to give you a picture. It's about my grandma. So let, many of you know, and thank you so much for your prayers and uh, just for um, your words of uh, encouragement and just, I mean, love. And I just felt your compassion. My grandma passed away last week. And uh, when, at her funeral, it was, it was really, it was kind of a cool thing in a way because my grandma was a prayer warrior. In fact, the, some of the earliest memories of my grandma were this. She was retired. Her hip was bad. She couldn't go out much. So she did what she could do with what she had, and she prayed. She sat at the kitchen table. I remember Grandma, she'd make a pot of coffee. She'd sit at the kitchen table. She'd get up there about 7 or 8, and she'd leave around noon. She'd pray all morning, and she got the church directory, and she's praying through it, name by name by name. My uncle shared a story one time. He says, Mom, why do you do that? And she just looked at him like, are you crazy? What do you mean, why do I do this? I mean, she believed in the power of prayer. And you know what? I remember the day when I saw my name on her list. I remember. I, it was just grandma's, it was just a yellow sheet of paper right there in her Bible. She had so many papers. If you got on her list, you weren't coming off. You just, you know, no one came off grandma's list. And I remember the day I saw my name on there. And one of the neatest things was at her funeral, there was a prayer shared that she had written down. It was almost like she had wrote it down because she claimed it. She wrote several of God's promises in this prayer. And what it says was, God, I know that you hear my prayer and that you say when I pray according to your will, you hear what I ask. And I'm praying that all my grandchildren would be saved. And what's amazing is the grandson who read that prayer during her funeral and shared it with everybody had just been baptized about a month prior. 
He was, he was the last one to be baptized in our family of our grandchildren. And he read that prayer. And, I, and you know what? I often wonder, what would my life have been like if Grandma didn't use her time to pray for me? She, she couldn't go out. She couldn't serve at the youth events. You know, I was a young man. She couldn't serve. She couldn't be there. But she could pray. And she made a difference that will last for eternity. Second thing, we all have gifts and abilities. I'm not going to uh, talk about this long because we already talked about it earlier, but, but how are we using those things? How are we using those things to glorify God? And just because your gift isn't one that you see how you could use it at church doesn't mean it can't be used for God. Maybe you're really talented at math. You know, have you ever thought you could tutor someone, gain a place of influence in their life, and do it all for the glory of God? Maybe share Jesus with them. I mean, whatever your gift may be, it can be used for God. Third one is money or possessions. Once again, this isn't about how much money we make. It's just, what am I doing with the money I've made and the possessions I had? And this isn't a message to get you to start tithing or to try and coerce you into something, but I'm just asking you this. The things that you have, are you being faithful with them? And here's what really got me about, oh, four years ago or something, was I realized that I often talked about my money in a way that God never talked about my money because I called it my money. I called it mine. But when I realized that this, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, I can't say, God, I'm trying to do well with my money. What I say is, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money that you've entrusted to me? See, that's, that's the whole word of stewardship. Okay, what am I doing with my resources you've given to me? It's not a sin to be wealthy, okay? It's not. The only sin is to not be faithful with what God has given you. Obey Him. Seek Him out. Ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do with the things that you've given me? Here's another one. Number four, and that's our children. You ever think of your children as gifts from the Lord? I'm sure sometimes, you know, <laughs> when they're throwing a fit, they don't feel like a present, right? There's all been times. But in reality, God's entrusted you with your kids. And in Malachi, it says this. He, it says this about husbands and wives. He says, did he not make them one? So God brought us together with a portion of the Spirit in their union. So God brought us together with his Holy Spirit. And it says this. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. God's intention for husbands and wives or single parents, and I, I understand that, you know, it, is that for us to do everything we can to point our children to the Lord. That's what he's entrusted us with. You know, I, I love Pastor Brent. He's got out there on his table. He's got these parent cue things. You, things you can do with your kids to be intentional. Just through the week, what, maybe a day, you, you get together, you pray, you ask them a couple questions because you care about what you care about um, them knowing Christ. And you just do those things. You pray with them. You teach them how to pray. Because you realize these, these children are a gift from God. I've got 18 years. They'll be out of the house. My influence will, will decrease and, and how, how, how much close interaction I have with them. I want to use these 18 years as intentional as possible so that my children will know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the last one is your relationships. Think about this. Where you are is not a surprise to God. He's put you there so that you can be used. He, your coworkers, your boss, your family, your friends. 
God wants you to steward those relationships in such a way that we share the love of Jesus with them when we get the opportunity, that we point them towards Jesus. And it doesn't mean, I, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you only talk about church with your friends. <laughs> That's not what it means at all. But what it means is, I'm going to look for opportunities at work, at school, with the people I know, to love them the way I think Jesus would. That's right. I'd encourage you this week to think about some of these areas. And, and what I've done in the past is I've actually wrote them down. Okay. What are some of my gifts? How can I use this to bring glory to God? What are some things I can do with my kids? What are some things I can do in relationships? Who is a person I can begin praying for? Because, I'm telling you guys, as Christians, I don't believe anybody misses the mark on this by intention as a Christian. But what happens is, we get so busy. And what happens is, like we talked about earlier, there's only so much time in the day. And so we, we get going and we, we get through our day and we say, oh man, at the end of the day, I didn't have any time to get in the Word. I didn't have any time to share with a friend. We, we get so busy and we get caught in this cycle of just being, and so it's good to take a step back sometimes and say, okay, God, what can I do with the things you've given me to bring glory to you? Okay, so if we're going to be faithful now, there's one other step we got we to gotta do to be great stewards or else we'll get discouraged. And that's third, it's trusting that God is working beyond what I can see. If Joseph didn't believe this, Joseph would have quit, right? Because if he thought that all it was was what he could see, he would have never been able to figure out how he got thrown in prison after being faithful. But God had prepared beforehand things for Joseph, and he just wanted him to be faithful now and say, let me worry about the future. I'm already working it. I'm already working. I've got a plan for your life. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this about you about me. It says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the very things that God will give you opportunities to do and has called you to do and made you for, he has prepared them in advance. He knows they're coming. The situations you're facing now in your life that maybe seem hard or not fair or I don't know how, how, how any good could come out of this, God sees it. He just wants you to be faithful. He just wants you to be faithful. He'll work out the details. Romans 8 says this, God works all things together for good for those who love him. All things, and are called according to his purpose. So the situation, you say, I don't know why I am, where I am, I don't know why this is happening. If you just step in and you just be faithful, you're going to find two things. God's working there, and two, God's got a plan beyond there that's more than you could ever see or imagine. I think about this kid. He's just a little boy. He's got five loaves. He's got two fish. And there's a crowd, thousands of people. And there's disciples, and there's Jesus. And you know, Jesus is God. He could have just zapped and made bread. I, th I think he could. But instead, he tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. And the disciples say, hey man, all we have, Jesus, there's this little boy, he's willing to give five loaves and two fish. But that's, I mean, that's nothing. Jesus took that small gift of five loaves and two fish and fed a multitude. 
See, God could have just zapped it, but that's not what God does. God doesn't just zap people. God's looking for men and women who say, God, I don't know how you could use me at my workplace to make a difference for you, but I'll give you what I got. God, I don't know how you could use me at my school. I don't know how you could use me in my family. There's, people are so far from you. I don't know how they'll ever come to know you, but here's what I got. And God can take that and multiply it beyond what you could ever have imagined. Beyond what you could ever ask. Beyond what you could ever think. That's what God does. So when we're faithful, we say, God, this is it. And he says, that's all I wanted. That's all I asked for. You just give it to me. You let me do the work. I'll do the work. We're going to end with this story. Who's ever heard the name Edward Kimball? Anybody? Probably not. I figured not. He was a Sunday school teacher in the 1800s. We don't remember Sunday school teachers from the 1800s, right? But Edward Kimball was a little bit different. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He taught young boys, but he took his position seriously. He said, God, you've given me these relationships. And he took very seriously to reach these young men for Christ. And so one of these boys, a teenager named Dwight, he kept falling asleep on Sundays, but this Sunday school teacher was so concerned with him, he says, I'm going to go to his workplace and tell him about Jesus. So that's what he does. His heart was pounding as he entered the door. He's not trained. He's not anything like that. He just knows God's called him to be faithful. He walks in there. He put his hand on his shoulder while he's working there at the shoe store, and he, he tells him about Jesus, asks him to come to Christ. He left. He thought he failed. But that young man's testimony began at that time. That young man said he left that store a different man. That young, name's, that young man's name was Dwight L. Moody, who then went on to become the most prominent evangelist in America. In fact, my brother, my brother-in-law, went to the school, the Bible college, that this man founded. But it goes on from there. Moody went to England for a series of meetings, and when he was there, it wasn't going well at first, but then God showed up, and one of the men that was saved there was F.B. Meyer. This man was transformed, and he was changed, and he actually came back to America. So now you've got the Sunday school teacher. He reached Moody. Moody reached a man named Meyer, and when Meyer was here, he said something in his service. He says, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? There's one man. His name was J. Wilbur Chapman, and he said that quote changed his life. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful traveling evangelist in the early 1900s. He re recruited a, a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Who's heard that name? Some of us have heard that name. So here you go. It's, it keeps going down the line. Billy Sunday, he became a fantastic evangelist, reaching people all over. And, and one of the places where he had a campaign, um, they invited another evangelist to come, Mordecai. So these guys are working together, Mordecai Ham. And they prayed, Lord, give us a Pentecost here. Let your spirit be poured out here. And his prayer was answered beyond what he could ever ask or imagine when Billy Graham came and gave his heart to Jesus. And here we have this thread, beginning with one Sunday school teacher who took his job seriously that has led to literally thousands of lives being impacted 
because of one man's faithfulness. As we have Pastor Nathan come, as we close, that's what God can do with what you give him. You know, I often read that, I've, I've read this a few times, and I always end it, and I'm asking myself, who's greater, Billy Graham or Edward Kimball? Who's greater, Dwight L. Moody or this Sunday school teacher, Edward, who just took what he had? And listen, I'm telling you, it's not about what you have. Edward never had the gifts or talents to become an evangelist. But he had love, he had care, he had the spirit of Jesus. That he could reach out to those people in his influence and share the love of Christ with them. That's stewardship. We don't have to be just average in this. Just giving God a little when we get some, but we can take everything we have and say, Lord, it's yours. How do you want me to live? Lord, I give you my life. I want you to use me in the way that will bring you glory no matter what. And you just, you just take it. And we've sang it all morning. We heard about it. We've seen pictures of it. And so the question is for us, how will we respond? Maybe one of these three points stuck out to you today. Maybe you never believed that God could use you. Maybe you never realized that was his heart for you, that he made you for a purpose. Or maybe you got caught in the whirlwind and you, you, you love God and you want to be faithful, but it's been so hard to be faithful now and you say, you know what, I'm going to set aside the time. I'm going to get, I'm going to get involved and use my gifts for him. Or maybe you've been doing that and yet you just haven't seen how God's going to work it out for good. If, if any of those are you, we're just going to close with just, just a little song. I'd encourage you to come and pray. The altars are open. So as, Nate, as Pastor Nathan sings, if, if you'd like to come and pray, feel free.